Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a, a pretty awesome founder. I mean, I think that, you know, he's really done it multiple times and, and with his last rodeo, I mean, what a ride. What a ride. I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit on building, scaling, and of course, exiting too. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Jason Gardner. Welcome to the show. Alejandro, thank you for having me. So originally born in Washington, D.C., but uh, you grew up pretty much in New Jersey. So tell us about yes. you know, your life growing up. I grew up in Fairhaven, New Jersey. Uh, it's in Monmouth County for those, uh, those folks from the tri-state area. Uh, I was pretty much a beach rat. Uh, I spent most of my time surfing even during the winter uh, and had a great life. I think growing up in New Jersey in a small town is a lot of fun. Uh, had uh, some pretty interesting times. Uh, I grew up, uh, my mother, who has been married four times, my father's been married three times, uh, was growing up in Fairhaven with uh, my mom and my stepdad, Chris. Uh, my mom was a court mediator in Freehold, New Jersey, uh, and my stepfather was a, was a stockbroker. And I spent um, a lot of my time growing up, like most kids, you know, riding around, hanging out with your friends on a bike. I uh, started working when I was 14 years old. My first job uh, was at a store called Video on the Ritz, uh, doing VHS and Betamax, if you remember Betamax back in the day. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great, great place to grow up. So how did you get like this, uh, this love for, for doing business? Because I mean, pretty much uh, all, all over like high school and, and college, I mean, you were the the kind of kid that was always thinking about like how to bring value and extract value. So how, how did you get that, that influence? Well, actually my sort of, if I think about being an entrepreneur, um, my first time when I was about five years old, uh, I, I recognized that I could hustle people for money. Um, whether it was, you know, picking your weeds or shoveling your driveway. Uh, I actually really enjoyed work and I, and I took pride in the fact that I could, use my you know own skill to um uh, to do a job and get paid directly for it uh there's something that i i really enjoyed about that when i was a little kid and then um you know had uh, my job at video on the ritz when i was 14. by the time i reached high school uh, i was both a busboy waiter and a cook 
in multiple restaurants. I also worked at uh, a surf shop called Island Style Surf Shop for, for those of us that uh, grew up in Monmouth County. And uh, I started uh, my first uh, business in high school was a tie-dye business uh, that I started uh, probably half of junior to senior year. Uh, I would, uh, uh, my sister connected me with, uh, she was making tie-dyes at the time. Uh, she connected me with a company that sold the dyes and I would make tie-dye shirts and sell them on New Jersey Transit, uh, heading to uh, Madison Square Garden to see Grateful Dead shows. And that turned into, you know, tie-dyeing school t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. It was actually a pretty nice business, which I uh, brought to uh, my first year of college. That's amazing. So then, obviously, you always had this thing as well in you that, that there was something going on in California. I mean, why did you want it to move to California? So when my parents got divorced, uh, my dad moved to Manhattan. Uh, he lived in Manhattan for about 10 years. And he was invited to open up an office in San Francisco for the company that he was working with. I had been someone who loved technology since I was a little kid. I think the first coding class I took was when I was nine years old. Uh, I had a Commodore 64. I had a, an Atari. I had uh, the early Nintendos and Segas. Uh, I was a, a gamer back when you know gamers uh, weren't really known. And all I wanted to do was uh, go visit California. And, and when I did visit California, I, I asked my dad, and I had really traveled anywhere outside of the tri-state area. Uh, the, the place I had been to was, was Canada as a little kid. I went to Toronto, uh, but really hadn't been anywhere else. And uh, jumped on a plane, flew him, to him with uh, my two sisters. I have a, a, I'm a middle child. I have an older sister and a younger sister. And I said, I just want to go see Silicon Valley. I want to go visit Apple, uh, HP, and Intel. And he drove me down 280 uh, and up 101, and we visited all of these companies. And this was when I was 13. And all I wanted to do was move to California. So uh, after high school and college, uh, backpacked Europe uh, for four months and then packed up my car in Spring Lake, New Jersey, where my mom was living, and uh, drove to California. And that was, uh, that was in 1994. That's amazing. And obviously there, you know, you went from account executive to business development manager for different companies. And that's all like nice segues that led you to building your first business, which was, you know, a, quite a humbling experience. Yeah, my first company uh, was called Vertical Think. Uh, it was sort of an early Elance uh, type of business where we were connecting uh, web developers with smaller web development projects. And I would consider it more of as a lifestyle business. Uh, we had talked to VCs uh, about potentially funding us, but it was not something that uh, was certainly fundable uh, at the time. It wasn't technology-based. It was more professional services-based. And I learned a lot. It was, uh, it was at uh, headquartered at 679 Bryant Street in San Francisco, uh, south of Market. This is before you know, any of the build-out you see today uh, was there at, at the time. You know, the ballpark, I think, was being built. Uh, it was it was actually a lot of fun, and as you know, someone who's young in their twenties, I was certainly more interested in having fun than actually building a business. Uh, so it ultimately failed, uh, but I learned an extraordinary amount about what it means to go build a successful business. So obviously, took uh, you know what I learned in, in in a failure and turned it into a success in my my next endeavor, which I co-founded with other folks. And as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. But I'm sure that, you know, from, from this experience with Vertical Think, there was at least one lesson that you knew that 
if you were to start another business, you would definitely implement that lesson. What would that lesson perhaps be? It's not it, it, running a business is not um, it's not for the faint of heart. It, it's both medically, mentally and physically taxing. Uh, and I was more interested in having fun. I didn't take the the idea of building a successful business seriously. And you have to enter it with this thought of I am preparing myself to go and do this. I'm you know a professional. I know the things that I need to go. I need to hire the right people. I need to have the right vision. I need to have the right infrastructure. I need to have the right materials. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. I was more enamored with being a CEO at the time and building a business and having fun than taking it seriously. And when you want to go build a business, especially with other people's money, um, the people you're hiring are spending a lot of time with you. Yeah, and they and 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 I today I take that very seriously. I take that very much to heart that you know they're spending their time with me uh, to help me and uh, our company and our customers build their businesses. So I didn't I didn't have that level of maturity at the time, uh, and uh, Nat and I learned it uh, and I learned a hard lesson in it, and it helped me for what was next. So obviously, what was next was uh, your next rodeo, and that was Property Bridge. So what were you guys doing at Property Bridge? Yeah, so between uh, Vertical Think and Property Bridge, uh, took another sales job uh, for a company in San Francisco. <clears throat> I needed to earn money. And Property Bridge got started. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, at the time, I was moving to Australia or planning to move to Australia uh, to start a Jamba Juice-type chain called Crocodile Coolers with a friend of mine. And uh, I threw, uh, it was a kitty concert at uh, Sheriff Israel, it was a temple in San Francisco. Uh, my wife and I were, were part of the congregation there. So it was my friend, uh, Ryan Gilbert. Uh, and we met him and his wife, uh, Nikki Gilbert, at this kitty concert. And he was an entrepreneur, had a business before that wasn't successful. Uh, he and I were getting together every Friday for, we call it the Entrepreneur's Breakfast. Uh, and he said to me, he's like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about this idea of, you know, paying rent with a credit card. And I said, Hey, you know, it's, it's probably, I mean, how many people pay rent with a check? Probably everybody. Uh, and he said, yeah, imagine paying rent with a credit card. And, and I was blown away by the business idea. So I sort of dropped the crocodile coolers thing and, uh, joined Ryan and three other folks to go build out, um, uh, a property bridge, which. Uh, allows you to pay rent electronically uh, through different means, whether it was ACH check, uh, which we scan through remote deposit capture devices, and then acquiring. So, you know, being able to accept credit cards at a property for rent and lease-related payments. Uh, we started that in 2004. We sold that in 2007 to MoneyGram International for $28 million. Uh, and that was a big deal for all of us. Uh, I ended up staying on uh, under contract with MoneyGram for two years, and then after that, uh, uh, founded uh, Marketa by myself. And obviously, a big deal for investors too, because they invested two million, and you know, then you get this twenty-eight million exit. So quite, you know, the ten x, you know, return that that they go after. So, and I think that for you too, I think that this was probably a a great experience to see a company going through the full cycle, no, of uh, building, scaling, you know financing and, and exiting would did that give you like the full picture of hey you know this is how it works this is this is actually possible kind of thing yeah I, I learned a lot um, I learned a lot about scaling and hiring people 
the impact of bad decisions, uh, especially impact of bad decisions around hiring people, uh, what it meant to be focused, uh, what it meant to be overeating or doing too much, you know, having a grand vision, but uh, wanting to execute on way too many things at the same time. Uh, we, we, we learned a lot. Um, I, uh, along with, with, uh, my, my co-founders, by the time we, we sold the company we were, we were kind of ready to move on. Um, multifamily real estate at the time was only 19.8 million units, uh, in the U S and obviously real estate and, and the rental of real estate is a global phenomenon. Uh, but it was very much focused in the U S so we didn't have the uh, you know, the sort of multi-billion dollar company vision. It was something that was much smaller than that. Uh, but when I finished my, my run at Property Bridge and then uh, uh, MoneyGram, uh, I wanted, what I wanted to do next uh, was something that was, I, I wanted to build a generational. And I think that was, it was really hard to find an idea that I really wanted to do until sort of Marquette and the idea found me. So how did the idea find, find you? Uh, so I was, uh, uh, my friend Suki Singh, uh, who also had a company in the multifamily real estate space. Uh, he and I became good friends through, through building the business. Um, he, I sold, he sold his company about a year after I sold Property Bridge. And he was on contract with a company called RealPage. And uh, I was eating dinner with him in San Francisco at the sushi place. And he said, hey, uh, you know, and I got together with him specifically. I said, I have all these ideas. I want to bounce these ideas off of you. Nothing really kind of has me. Uh, and he said, uh, hey, you know, I have all these Groupons in my pocket. It's sort of silly that I have to walk around with all this paper. Uh, how about trying to put all of these Groupons onto a card? You know, you're a payment nerd. And, and I wanted to do a payment business. And it was very much like a shock to my system. Um, it was something that uh, really, I, I, I was speechless for probably about 30 seconds because my brain just went into full on overload and I knew this is what I had to do. And I said, that is a really good idea. I want to go solve that problem. So literally that night, uh, began, you know, uh, searching to see how this would be done. I knew nothing about issuing and processing. Uh, I knew about the payment card industry, but specifically about acquiring. Uh, which is what you do every day, which is paying into an interface, whether online or, you know, inserting your card or, or tapping your phone. Um, but I didn't know how the cards work themselves. Uh, so really kind of immersed myself in the technology, talked to a lot of people about the technology and recognized that uh, that we had to build an issuing processing system from scratch uh, and then began to sort of map the architecture out of what that would look like. And uh, work with some really smart people from from Property Bridge who joined me for Marketa, and uh, and the rest is history. So it seems that you were obviously speaking with a lot of people, bouncing ideas with a lot of people. So why did you decide to go at it solo as a founder? Um, by the time I finished Property Bridge, uh, none of us got along. None of the co-founders wanted to spend time with each other at all. Uh, and in fact, I found that in, through the process of building Property Bridge, we all had different ideas of the things that we wanted to do. And you felt because you were a co-founder of that business uh, that um, I had a say. I have a say in, in the color, I have to say in the size of things, I have to say in uh, where we go and what we do. And it was something that we probably should have done from the very beginning, which is 
you're responsible for this, you're responsible for that, and then you are solely responsible for those decisions. I think this is one of the the issues that co-founders make in the beginning is they believe that it's it's equitable, so everybody has an equal share, and everybody has a say in what's next. That that is the wrong way to do it. That's the way we did it at Property Bridge. Yes, we were successful, but by the time Property Bridge ended, um, I was exhausted and really wanted to in my next business to be able to call the shots. You know, really decide what we were going to build and what the colors were and what our values were and what our vision and mission was. Um, I was really ready for that. Uh, I didn't want to share that with anybody else uh, as the as the as the sole founder in the beginning. Now, obviously, as you build a business, you build businesses with people, and you when you work with a lot of really smart people, they bring you a lot of really good ideas. But ultimately, it's up to you to parse all this information coming at you and find a path forward. And then part of finding the path forward is really convincing others uh, to join you in that journey. So I've learned a lot from Property Bridge and then being a sole founder of things that I had to get done, uh, but I would never have done it any other way. So what ended up being the business model, Jason? Well, when we got started, uh, we really solved the problem. So we did solve the problem, which a lot of people told us we couldn't do, uh, which was how to figure out how to put a bunch of Groupons on a card. So the first product we came out with was a consumer product called the Marketa Card. Uh, which allows you to pay rent electronically. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, allows you to pay uh, uh, for groceries and you would get a, a, a 5 to 7% return based on you know paying in advance for things. And it, so it was groceries, uh, it was food, uh, it was clothing, it was, a, it was a number of things. It was, it was moderately successful. In the earliest business plan, uh, this is the early days of, of 2010, um, I had a strong belief in open platforms. I thought, that you know the uh, engineers and developers, technical product managers, entrepreneurs were going to want to build their own products on top of plat platforms, you know, using an API, so they can choose uh, how to interact with that API to build products that were very different from any other product that was being built. Um, but as an issue or processor, you really got to prove the technology works. So that was the was really the first first product. So 2012, uh, Facebook called. And they said, hey, we want to build a, this thing called a Facebook card. It's your birthday. Uh, you know, 100 friends uh, want to send you 100 gift cards from 100 different merchants. And we want them to live on one card. We've talked to all of these issuer processors. And they keep pushing us to you guys because this is something that you've solved, which is we had. This, is, this was the how do you put a bunch of Groupons or how do you put a bunch of gift cards on a single card? So we exposed our API to Facebook engineers, and we fell in love. We really loved working with uh, other technically capable people around wanting to build products. And I found through that process, uh, I was having a lot more fun uh, working with uh, engineers and product people as infrastructure uh, versus having my own product. Uh, so uh, eBay came was the next company and wanted to go build a product. Uh, we, we, we sort of quickly shut down the Marketa card and uh, worked with uh, uh, several companies in exposing our infrastructure to them. It was, it was still closed. It wasn't open yet. And then at the end of 2014, uh, we launched Modern Card Issuing, which was the ability to build card products. Uh, they can be physical plastic cards. 
uh, tokenized cards, which at the time didn't exist, but uh, the future would be dropping those tokenized cards into Apple Pay or Android Pay uh, or Google Pay and then Samsung Pay uh, or uh, virtual cards, uh, which could be either server to server virtual cards uh, or server to, uh, uh, to consumer or business uh, uh, virtual cards. Um, and that was a huge bet for the company because uh, we didn't know if we were going to find product market fit for that. We just knew that we had a lot more fun uh, working with engineers and other companies and bringing them this modern card infrastructure, modern card issuing infrastructure. And uh, we found uh, we found product market fit actually very quickly in 2015. And uh, what you see today is really the same business, but obviously, you know, much more uh, profound technology, uh, profound business model than it was back in 2015. Uh, but today, we're a $4.3 billion company. And uh, again, we're on that sort of the first chapter of what we believe is a generational story. Very cool. And obviously, talking about the, the valuation, that also leads me to ask you, how, how much capital has the company raised today? We've raised $535 million to date. Wow. That's a lot of, a lot of zeros there, Jason. You know, anyone could get dizzy. So, so you know, I want to I wanna dive into one of the stories here, you know, in, in that journey as well of going from financing cycle to financing cycle, because I understand that in 2015, you were literally weeks away from running out of money. What, what happened there? We didn't hit our milestones. Um, we, uh, you know, had launched the open API. We're in the very early days of product market fit. Uh, we were struggling to manage sort of the incoming business, um, you can create a very well-documented API. Uh, it's not good enough, uh, especially in, a, in an area like issuing and processing where people wanna go build card products, but the, the sort of the, the lingo and the information around card issuing, uh, we were sort of, you know, I don't, you know, drinking our own or eating our own food so much that we really didn't understand the educational part uh, that people needed to go build products. Uh, so we missed some some very key milestones. Um, we were weeks away from running out of money. Uh, we had a number of investors that wanted to write uh, some more checks, but they wanted me to find uh, some new investors. Um, I did that within five days. Wow. Uh, convinced the investors, the new investors around the vision and where we were going. Uh, the total addressable market or TAM for this business was significant uh, and uh, ended up uh, raising, which was our Series C. Uh, and, you know, from there on, the company has performed uh, extremely well. So that day that you probably, you know, signed the the, the subscription agreement and, and, you know, money was wired. I'm sure that maybe there was like something that you promised yourself that maybe you were going to really keep in mind, you know, as you were continuing in the journey of building this business. What was that? Yeah, I mean, the way those, those weeks before that round close were some of the most depressing uh, moments of my career in, uh, with, with building Marketa. I mean, it was very, very, very difficult. Um, I couldn't smile. Um, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was horribly depressed uh, because I spent all of this time and all of these people and our customers were depending on me to get this money in. Uh, so one thing <clears throat> that I learned was, um, you know, not only manage your money a lot better, but raise when you don't need it. Um, you know, start the fundraising process early 
create milestones that you can reach uh, that are important milestones in the company, not something that you're you're sort of creating the bar so high that if you that you want to push yourself, it's 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 almost dangerous to do that in some ways. Uh, and I and I experienced that. So one thing was is you know really focus on doing a lot less. Um, you know, having milestones that that you know maybe are, are smaller in nature but reachable, so it, it creates sort of a, a, a goodness or a positivity in regards to the milestones that you're reaching. Uh, the board sees that. You know, these sort of new investors you're talking to over the growth of the company see that. And then when you decide what you want to do your next round, it becomes more of a process in building the business versus a okay, I got to go on a six-month journey to go raise money and spend all of this time and stress to go do this in the hope that I can raise. And if I don't, then obviously the business ends. I thought very differently about fundraising uh, after that experience. It was, it was really hard. And obviously you, you as well, you've, uh, you've been you know, able to, to manage not only the, the professional side, but also the personal side, because I mean, you, you had a very supportive family too, and and also a family that needed your your attention as well. So, so how did you go about juggling, you know, both both fronts? Yeah, being being an entrepreneur and and being a father uh, and a husband uh, is difficult. I have a, a son, uh, Ethan. He was born with special needs. Uh, he was born with a genetic disorder called twenty two Q or the George syndrome. Um, you know, he needed a lot of help uh, as a as a young kid. Uh, he's eighteen today, and he's doing great. Uh, my wife. Uh, ended up going back to school, uh, got her master's in social work, and now she's a psychotherapist. So she actually uh, works with other uh, parents of kids with special needs. She's she's very good at what she does. Uh, she's she's also a, a and many times a psychotherapist to me. You know, I'll have a, a tough day, and she'll say, "Hey, you know, step into my office." Um, also, two years ago, uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was battling breast cancer for a good year. Uh, it was very hard. Uh, both personally and professionally, because uh, I mean, you know this, you, you, you've, you've dealt with this in your past too, which is you feel um, like you're being torn apart. You know, your heart is with your family. Uh, and you see, uh, uh, I saw how my wife was suffering and how much she needed me. And I'm also, uh, uh, you know, incredibly um, uh, uh, loyal to my wife, but I'm also loyal to my investors and my employees and our customers. Um, and in building the business, and, and it takes an incredible balance. I think for me, I'm lucky in that you know I've been married to my wife for about 20 years now. We've been together for 25. I mean, she is she's tough. You know, she's a Jewish girl from the Bronx. Um, she knows what it's like to, uh, uh, to 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 work with me. You know, she was she went through all three companies with me, and she knew what was important to our family, what was important to me, uh, and we together with, with Ethan and my daughter, Delia, we just really balance things out in a way uh, where we could do it all. And, and we did it all. She's, she's cancer-free. She's very healthy. Obviously, the business is doing great. Uh, kids are doing great. Um, and it, uh, I really couldn't do this business um, without her. Like Having a great partner, uh, in, uh, whether it's uh, you know, your wife, your husband, significant other, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, family, um, that is really important. It helps you through the very hard times when you're horribly depressed, uh, and it helps you through the great times when you know you're 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 finding success in the things that you're doing, but they're keeping you very focused. 
Absolutely. And obviously, you know, like just honing in there on success, because I know that, you know, I heard you say that success is not something that, that you've achieved. And that said, is is something that you are constantly going after. And, I sh and I'm sure that, you know, here, especially when we're talking about Marketa and, you know, the incredible business that you've built, you've had to scale yourself too, no, uh, professionally, so that you were able to grow uh, at the same speed as the company. So, so, so how have you been able to do that? Yeah, when when you're when you're building a business, um, it you have to grow both personally and professionally. You just scale personally and professionally. There is a lot to uh, building a business because you build a business with people. Uh, there's people, obviously your your employees. I refer to them as my my business partners. There's your customers. Uh, they're people too, and your investors are people. Uh, and when you're building, you have to sort of have a global view on things. You have to be very focused on the people aspects of what you're doing. Uh, and, and sometimes I've, I've completely failed at that. Uh, you know, when people came to me uh, five years ago and said, hey, you know, I want to know what my career path is. You know, I really couldn't wrap my head around that. I was like, there's so much work to do. Uh, what's a career path? So these are the, the scaling things as, as a CEO. You really sort of have to embrace about what is next in your sort of professional career as a, as a CEO, um, you also need to be a human being, you know, and, and personally, you need to focus on what do we need to, what do I need to, to be a better person and a better CEO, uh, recognize the things that are going on in my company, have those personal connections uh, so that you can build this business. Because without that, when and, I, and, I, and I've said this before, especially about investors, um, sometimes you look at investors as just suitcases full of cash. Uh, but VCs and investors, they make very few bets in their life. You know, maybe maybe twenty to twenty-five companies at max they'll invest in. And when the when times are tough and when times are good, you want to be able to have a personal connection with them, so they're there for you. And I and I've done that with my investors. I'm I'm close to all of them, uh, and it and it helps because it really having that personal connection helps you go build. I didn't get that stuff in the beginning, and and I, professionally it, uh, in building the business, I knew that we had something that was going to be big. I just I felt it because of the size of the addressable market and uh, this idea of open platforms. Uh, but really, as you as you build, you need a lot of help. Like three years ago, I got a coach. Uh, she's incredible, uh, has helped me a lot uh, grow both personally and professionally, where today, you know, we're close to 450 people. Uh, you know, we're a $4.3 billion company. We raised $535 million. Uh, and we're in I, what I believe the very early stages of, uh, of engineering our vision. So uh, there's so much more to do. And I couldn't do it without having, you know, that sort of personal and professional view. Uh, on how how the world works, absolutely. And talking about you know the size, just to expand on that, and especially for the folks that are listening, anything that you can tell us around, maybe like number of employees or anything that gives us an idea on how big Marketa is today. I, I can't disclose too much. I can say that at the end of last year, we uh, issued our 140 millionth card, uh, and what that means is we're uh, easily in the top 25 uh, issuers in North America. Uh, we are a global company now. We have we operate in the U.S., Canada, uh, Europe, and Asia. We started with Australia, which is very much a card-centric culture. 
but we'll be entering a number of com- countries in the in the coming year. And um, you know, around that, uh, have offices uh, here in Oakland, California. Uh, we just announced uh, our second headquarters in Denver, Colorado, uh, and then have two offices uh, in the UK, uh, and have uh, plans to be opening up more here in the coming months. And where do you think that your space is heading as a whole? So modern card issuing itself today is a $45 trillion market. If you think about carded volume globally, and carded volume, I mean, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, Chinese Union Pay, uh, Pice, uh, Nice, Pulse, Excel Exchange. You know, there's hundreds of networks around the world um, that would fit into sort of carded volume. Uh, that's moving to 80 trillion in the next 10 years. Wow. So, and that's the biggest expansion of really card processing we've ever seen. Uh, ultimately, I'd like to issue a card on every single continent uh, because we see that there's fintechs uh, being built from you know uh, uh, countries in Africa to uh, Asia to uh, 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 new companies being built in North America in South America, Latin America, uh, all over the world. So uh, it's been pretty interesting to see how modern card issuing, a category that we invented, uh, has grown. So there's uh, still an extraordinary amount uh, to do just based on you know these, these companies. At the time in 2010, many of our customers hadn't even been invented yet. Uh, we still see where new businesses are being invented every day that we can power. And we've talked that, uh, you know, you see that you guys are still at chapter one. So I want to I wanna expand on that. And let's say, you know, you go to sleep tonight, Jason, and you have an a insane snooze. I mean, you wake up in a world, let's say, five years later, where the vision of Marketa is fully realized. You know, we've made, you know, a few jumps from that chapter one that, that you're in today. When, that, when you wake up from that tremendous snooze, what does that world look like when that Marketa vision is fully realized? Well, part of the Marketa vision, and I'm not going to go into the entire Marketa vision about five years out, but the part of that Marketa vision is is issuing a card on every single continent. Uh, that card is going to be digital first. Uh, we've definitely seen through this global pandemic where this thought of digital first credentials, what we're maybe three to four years out, is happening right now. Uh, we're going to see digital first credentials uh, in five years being not only a global phenomenon, but in many ways, uh, you won't be carrying plastic anymore. And, and this, is, this is not new. I mean, Asia has been, been using phones to, to authorize transactions for years, uh, but we're going to see it uh, certainly more global. Uh, this acceptance of uh, the ability to pay with a phone at the point of sale, which uh, uh, you know, Apple Pay is only in its early days. I mean, it, they don't have a significant amount of terminals globally enabled to accept that. Google Pay either. So we need to build down this sort of two-sided infrastructure, the ability to pay with phones at the point of sale and the ability to uh, 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 create tokens. And these tokens fit into Apple Pay or Google Pay um, pretty easily. We did this back in 2016. Uh, we were the first company to do that. Uh, so today we see where uh, this is beginning the global phenomenon. But five years, it's going to be very commonplace where your phone is carrying all your credentials to, to make payments. You wouldn't be carrying cards. That's amazing. And one of the questions that, that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, I mean, you've been at it now with Marketa for, for a while. I mean, this is your third business. So obviously you have your fair amount of lessons, you know, experiences, you know, successes, failures. I mean, 
everything in that uh, non-straight line, which is entrepreneurship. So if you had the opportunity, Jason, to go back in time and, and have a chat with your younger self, maybe with that Jason that is thinking about launching a business, and you were able to give yourself, that younger self, one piece of business advice, what would that be knowing what you know now? So have a vision around technology and what you want to go build. What I didn't have back then and which I would talk to my younger self about is having a vision around people. So how you want to hire people, uh, how you want to support people. And this is not just your employees. Uh, this is your investors as well. I think as the years have gone on, I've really begun to realize, and this is probably the last four and a half to five years, is that companies are really built with people. And uh, people need uh, a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of different people need a lot of different things. So there's the, the, the idea of success and building this, this great business and great technology and having great customers, but also be focused on the people and what they need, you know, the career goals that they're going to go hit, what they need to hear from you from, you know, a weekly and monthly basis around communications. Um, that's a really important part. Uh, that I would definitely talk to my younger self about. So there's the building the business and the technology, but there's also like building the people and the and the human aspects of building a business. Today, I handle both equally. Uh, I, I handle both in, a, in, a, in an equally important way. I'm a lot happier as a person in doing that, uh, and I've seen a lot more success in focusing on both of those. So that's definitely a piece I would uh, uh, I would be talk to my younger self about. That's amazing. Very, very profound, Jason. So I guess for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, they can always email me, uh, jason at marketa.com. Amazing. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Alejandro, thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.